1: With us, we have Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gourney Institute and Wayne Angel Chair of Economics. We have Dr. Justin Clark, the
0: Menard family professor of philosophy and ethics. We have Dr. Peter Jacobson, the Gourney professor of economic education and research. And finally, our fellow graduate assistant elect, Austin Mellon. All right, so we thought uh, it'd be fun to go through orders of operations, which don't, don't, don't press stop yet, listeners. It, it's really gonna be fun because we have Justin, our philosopher, leading us through. The first thing that came to mind for me was like path dependence so there's um i think some uh free marketeers that put themselves in a group that uh history matters or something and so i i don't know if that's related to
2: this order of operations or not justin take it away so generally i think there uh, one way to think about libertarians is that they have a a list of policies that they would like and uh you know, on this list are things like drug legalization or drug decriminalization. Uh, legalization might be on there too. Yeah. Often open borders is another one. And this idea is that, you know, these things are restrictions. And is if we eliminate some of the, the whole point is that we, a libertarian society looks like this. Open borders, uh, drug decriminalization. No more, uh, right. Or less,
0: don't get involved with other conflicts in other
2: countries, yeah, uh, leave it alone. A very uh, a minimal foreign policy a uh, smaller social net mm-hmm. um, right uh, you know more uh, reliance on private charities more reliance on local, like, yeah,
0: local uh, and, yeah
2: uh local safety nets etc and so uh often libertarians say something like since these things are good you know if we get any of these policies that's a net gain for liberty right um, anything from our list of preferred policies And I know I used to think this, um, and now I I kind of think that's wrong, and I think that um, order of operations matters. Um, The order in which we do these things um, can have a drastic impact on the way that society looks as a result of us doing them. So in math, you know, order of operations, Peter brought up PEMDAS, right, which is uh, parentheses, exponents, multiplication, division, Addition, mm-hmm. subtraction, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to do those things in that order, and if you don't do those things in that order, you're going to screw up your equation.
0: When was it FIFO first inside, first outside? They don't do that. Well, one of the last th- outside. What was they, that? One?
1: They've they've changed uh, recently. I guess this doesn't matter. Yeah, let's like, We, two way we way should <laughs> <laughs> They changed it. So it's sorry, just right. right but anyways, you
2: uh, got up. <laughs> so <and off>. yeah. <laughs> so let me just give the the classic example, which I think you know illustrates the point. Um right now we have a um we have an immigration policy that's not open immigration. Right? right. Um and we have a social safety net that's on the
0: books is what you mean not open immigration.
2: Yes. Yeah, uh, you, you can't just legally walk into the US. Yes. 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 Okay. Um and we have a social safety net that's actually uh, quite large, right? Um and so uh, you might think, well, um since libertarians favor open borders um, and a lower safety net. We'll give you one of those things, right? Uh, We'll give you the open borders. Um, And I think that the country looks very differently if you open borders first um, rather than if you reduce the social safety net before you open borders. And the reason that's the case, of course, is because there's a, you know, whatever amount of wealth there is in the country, let's say it's X, right? Um, If you open those borders, um most likely the people that are going to be coming in are people that will take advantage of that social safety net um and so that could that will have a much different result in the distribution of wealth rather than if you reduce the social safety net before you open the borders and um that's not to take a position on whether or not you know some people might say that's exactly why we want to open the borders first right to uh for the redistribution to occur that way as a mechanism to yeah as a mechanism for use. redistribution yeah. but if you don't um and if it, and um I don't think that I do uh, want want to redistribute in that manner um the you know these countries depending on which order you take these operations the country looks very very differently um so uh I'll and I think I think something uh similar on like dr- drug policy too right um uh I think that having uh completely legalized drugs and this is something that I've probably changed my mind on over the past five years um there is a point that a society gets to where uh you know legalized drugs make sense and then you know you can also look at like San Francisco right now where there's tent cities where it's essentially a state-sponsored suicide um uh you know uh plaza uh, where people just go there to kill themselves and I think that um uh if we look at that we can say something something's going wrong right here look right
0: right. (laughs) Um, yeah
2: let me
1: challenge you yeah so so i i i hear what you're saying i think one of the reasons that especially i think all ideologies have this by the way uh this is actually an argument on the left too and so let me use the same example that you used but on the left a lot of people on the left say that well immigration laws are oppressive and therefore, if we get rid of immigration laws, then we get more of what we want, but actually listeners might not know this, because this is a little de-emphasized position on the left, but there are leftists, I've, I've read books about this, uh, who are out there who say yes, uh, borders are oppressive, but getting rid of immigration laws will be more oppressive and they argue because of climate change that is if you have a bunch of poor people come to rich countries they're going to use more resources now put more carbon and all this stuff so there are environmentalists on the left who will argue for borders so we can keep people poor uh because them getting rich would be a big deal uh that's not the, how they would <laughs> yeah, try their position shot, but, but, but but yeah yeah i, I was surprised <laughs> when i first read it but yeah a lot of these anti-population folks sure, are very yeah, close would make borders for this reason for angle. um it comes out of uh The uh, population size, affluence, uh, and there's a T in there. Technology, that's the iPad. the equation that the impact on the environment is a a product of population affluence and technology. So they say, oh, more affluence bad, therefore uh, close the borders. Similar sort of thing going on here. I think one reason why it seems really prevalent amongst libertarians, though, is that libertarians tend to have like this... Uh, I am teaching ethics right now, so I'm going to use a word that maybe we could have a better word for, but some sort of like deontological uh, <laughs> attachments to liberty. And what they might argue maybe we well,
0: Hold on, you can't give throw out deontological well, say, I, I get, to I can't, listeners. I am more importantly me. I can't define it, so that's a big problem for <laughs> well, the listeners Justin, and for you. Maybe Justin can... Uh, it's
2: like a presupposition you're not allowed to violate, maybe. Does that sound fair? A deontological approach is like that certain rules are uh necessarily good independent of their of their um effects yeah right
1: oh
0: independent of their effects
2: yes
1: so the the rule itself uh merits following for the sake of following the rule that's kind of the idea of deontological and so a lot of libertarians believe this about liberty and so what they might say to you is you're just being a consequentialist you're just saying that well because the result of this is not what you like you're willing to do something that's immoral, violate liberty, my, you know, de- deontological presupposition. You're willing to violate liberty to get a result that you prefer. Uh, and how is this better than any other violation of liberty? That sort of thing. So I think that would be the challenge. Is like, are you being a consequentialist? Uh yes, I am being a okay.
2: consequentialist, right? <laughs> um so a couple things. First of all, I think that libertarians also generally ignore something that I think is important about states, um, which is that to the extent that states exist, I think that they have an obligation to their citizens that they don't have um, to people who aren't their citizens. Right. Uh, And so the argument is usually made something like, well, these states are wronging um, people who want to come in. They're violating their freedom, right? I'm perfectly happy to go along with the libertarians and say that states uh, you know, by their nature are predatory or they violate people's rights, right. Um, but the claim is that insofar as we have one, it has a uh, it has an obligation to the people that it for instance collects taxes from right. Um, and insofar as it has that obligation, then I think you can you can justify preferential treatment based on that obligation.
0: And this is back to your principled, uh, somewhat uh, your preference for people who are close to you. Gosh, I always draw the blank. Yeah, I, I mean it's posted. it's similar
2: to that. Um, the principle of uh, permissible, permissible partiality. partiality. Thank yeah. you. Yes, I I love that word, and I can't ever seem to remember it. The since. weaker form of the of my argument is just that order of operations matters, and that uh, the order in which we do these things drastically changes the way things look. The consequence. Yeah. Yeah, the consequences. And,
1: and so, I I wonder if you if you have an argument against the people who would say, well, my beliefs are not co- based on consequences. That I'm gonna, I want to do what's right regardless of uh, how you know that pans out. I want to finish the math problem the way that follows the rule, regardless of if it gets me the total that uh, would be best or something like that uh do you have like a sort of response to that person other than well you should care about consequences
2: uh no I think it's just like good luck okay right? uh yeah <laughs> the weak statement is that these have vastly different consequences right and that insofar as states exist um since they have an obligation to their citizens that obligation has to consider these consequences, sure. right okay um yeah I want to circle
0: a little bit back to the to the border and so the the Biden border situation currently is that we're not being real strong with enforcement of of the border and um would that be a pro libertarian type of stance um in general just like oh well that that's basically open borders since we're not enforcing the rules um how would you respond to that
2: after 2016 the libertarian movement kind of uh did a big split on on borders yeah Um, and so you have a big there's a there's a part of the libertarian movement that's very um pro uh open immigration and there's part of the libertarian movement that says no uh borders actually are are important
0: yeah Um, so there's an old saying when Trump came about that let's build a big wall with or build a wall with a big gate in other words protect the border a beautiful game but <laughs> I mean, it would of course be beautiful but but basically, and I, I'm not saying that was part of Trump's plan yeah. but th- yeah. to basically open the border more mm-hmm. legally uh, but still have the wall I think the dirty little secret that I've heard somebody phrase it this way uh, is that for years and years we're both Republicans and Democrats because of our large social safety net preferred to have things work the way they did with illegal immigrants because now illegal immigrants come over, and they raise a family, and they buy homes, and they live their lives, but they're not eligible for the safety net because they're still illegal. And so that was kind of the dirty little secret of how we're going to preserve a fairly open border. In other words, don't really watch the border too much, but don't give them citizenship either, and then that way they don't qualify for the safety net, even though their kids end up being able to enjoy a
2: lot of the public goods. Yeah, so Peter mentioned that this this was a big position on the, I mean, on the left, and it He's he's right in the past. So Cesar Chavez, right, who was organizer of like farm workers in California, um, militantly anti-illegal immigration. Used mm-hmm. to uh, you know yeah. they used to beat Ill- Ill- illegal immigrants up yeah um, because they thought that Ill- illegal immigrants hurt their opportunities to unionize. Mm-hmm. Um, That's true
0: yeah yeah. Probably.
2: So um, so in the one sense, it it kind of drives me crazy how politicized this issue has been, um, given that both sides of the issue now pretend like they've had this position for a long time, and it seems more ad hoc to me. Mm -hmm. And
0: and my my thought with the whole, if that is the dirty secret, and we'd like to have uh, bigger immigration, why not not allow those benefits for a 10-year waiting period, and somebody comes over and they prove themselves as a good productive part of society and then that's part of their because, qualification because process.
1: it's politically advantageous to promise benefits and people sure. who are coming in and have yeah. the possibility of voting
2: and it's also it it would be politically disastrous for anyone proposing that to admit that we are going to have a two-tiered society.
0: Yeah. Right. A yeah. two-tiered s- system. I, I know that would be part of the pushback. But I,
1: I do want to say in response to Russ's, because I've been thinking about this, I actually don't think no enforcements, and, and this is another thing that sometimes uh people on our side will say is that, well, let's have no enforcements, but we can keep the rule on the books, but let's jury nullification is sometimes like a similar sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh it's like we can just get rid of bad laws by nullifying the results and voting not guilty even if someone's clearly guilty of like drug crimes or something Mm -hmm. i think there's an appropriate time and place for that but i think like a no enforcement situation we're actually in sort of like the worst of all possible worlds right now with the border which is like a really sad but i think true way uh that we are and the worst of all possible worlds in this sense there's lots of people getting into the country uh and who are able to access social safety nets and so we have that negative that conservatives are opposed to but also you know from a perspective of caring about people and hoping that we have the best in their lives we also have a border situation which encourages things like uh you know trafficking across the border yeah and so because there's sort of like this minimal you know amount of enforcement that goes on uh we encourage people to come over the border who are involved in illegal activities human trafficking
0: is the big problem yeah and the outrageous amount of deaths in those containers that's right I can't think of a, a more awful way to die and so sometimes people people got mad at Trump about this and Trump threw it back
1: to Obama about like the camps for children that we had on the border and I have a very unpopular position on this uh because apparently it was too toxic for even Trump to to admit that he had them but I my questions that people really opposed to the camps for kids stuff on the border is like what is the other solution here like if someone is we believe is being trafficked across the border do we just allow them to be trafficked across the border or do we let them return to do we just send the kid back into the wilderness to back to you know uh to try to find Mexico City uh, no neither of those solutions are good I I don't that doesn't mean I want kids to be imprisoned in some containment to camp on the border but in a way, we've created a world where there's no good solution to this problem with our current policies. Like, there's no answer to the kids thing being trafficked that ends up good. The the camp thing is just as bad, in my view, as uh, letting the traffickers take them across the border or trying to turn the kid around, uh, you know, with the trafficker or without them. Either of those cases is bad. So right.
0: There's almost no good solution. Well, this looks like a good spot for our break, and I'm sure afterwards we'll come up with that solution. So we'll be back in just a bit.
2: Ottawa University has an exciting new major, PPE, which stands for philosophy, politics, and economics. Each of these three fields is interesting in their own right, but they intersect in ways that are important to understand, both individually and for your community. If you find philosophy fascinating, but want to make sure that your study of the subject is practical. If you enjoy economic analysis, but want to see how economic laws interact with moral principles. If you are interested in politics, but want to explore how economic and ethical realities constrain our political choices, you should consider the PPE program at Ottawa University.
0: The Gordon Institute at Ottawa University is the best place in the Midwest for free enterprise education and its contribution to human flourishing, faith in economics in action. We have some great high school student programs like PPE Fest. This is an event where students get to listen to some world-renowned speakers and then participate in competition geared around philosophy, politics, and economics. Our everyday economics program is just a half day on a Saturday and we will have an integrated discussion about common sense economics. We have a college credit microeconomics course that runs every eight weeks. Your high school student can earn college credit for the special price of $200. If you know some students, Interested in programs like these, contact Peter, Justin, or Russ today. All right, we're back trying to weed through this uh, order of operations concept, just thinking of whether um, it matters. Can we pick things off a shelf and get somewhere with it, or do we have to be careful with the order in which things come off the shelf or what has already happened, kind of the path path dependence? Peter, what were your thoughts on starving some beast? Yeah, so there is
1: maybe like our left-wing listeners at home probably were upset by Justin's logic here but but maybe uh saw the merits of it oh, the, where I'm going to I'm going to take it from the other angle that this applies to certain uh more right-wing positions too. And so one example of this is the idea of starving the beast. And the idea of starving the beast is this is that we can force governments to become smaller by forcing it to take in less tax revenue. And so cut taxes with the end goal in mind that cutting taxes will necessarily lead to smaller government. Uh this is Reagan. Uh, Re- Reagan is uh, pretty famous for this. Uh and I would say at least in uh you know economic academic circles sort of a little bit infamous uh
0: for the results because here's the thing sounds great doesn't work. So Kansas, I don't know, since you're relatively new to Kansas, that was Kansas big beef with um what was our uh, governor Brownback. Brownback. Received a lot of heat and it was totally the star of the beast thing. So yeah. they they went through that track and arguments can be made um, both sides that it wasn't carried out appropriately and you know um, things changed over
2: time. And so of- just to be clear, the items on that list that we we're talking about, like libertarian uh things that libertarians would prefer, um lowering taxes is on that list. Sure, right. Um, Balancing the budget is on that list. Yeah. And uh sound sound monetary policy are on that list. Right. Right. Um, and so what you're saying, I take it, is something, and also uh reducing expenditure probably too, right? Is that if you just if we just take lowering taxes and then assume that somehow that's coming to result in the rest of them that's not the case
1: yeah it, that that's exactly what i'm saying is that yeah. uh you can't just lower taxes uh and expect that to just exist in vacuum as a win what happens when you do that and this is what happened under reagan is the deficit explodes because reagan simultaneously lower taxes but then he did the other thing that you can't do with lowering taxes which is he increased spending pretty significantly across basically all government departments in fact uh wanted to or said in this campaign he'd get rid of the department of education He increased the size of the Department of Education. So here's the problem with that. When you lower your tax revenues, but you increase your expenditures, you add debt. That's the only way you can pay for something when your expenditure is above your revenue. Pass the buck. And that means future taxes. Uh, Anytime that you have to pay back a larger amount in the future, you're gonna have to increase taxes in the future. And so in a very real sense, uh, Reagan kind of got to free ride off the benefits of lower taxes. And there are benefits of lower taxes, but at the cost of, in the future, basically now we have to pay that back. We're paying those debts back with higher tax rates today.
0: Yeah, and Biden today is doing the same similar thing. Yeah, that, uh, this give away the student loans, uh, some of the other spending that goes on. Uh, the one policy is to you know do some increase in taxes to offset some of that, but ultimately, especially the student loan one, that is passing the bug. I mean, you start to think uh, in the in the previous days there was a private sector holder of that student loan debt that now has been usurped by the federal government that has 93% of the debt. So Mm -hmm. who is paying? You know, A good question for people to think about is, you know, who is paying the student loan debt? And it's clearly my son's children. Yep. When I'm dead. That's,
1: it's absolutely right. And this is like, you know, this talking point is all really red meat for conservatives, for libertarians. It's like, let's cut taxes. Or sometimes you hear, I'm actually a little more in favor of the idea of abolish the IRS. That one actually works a little bit better for me. But here's basically the, the ultimate problem is you can't just lower the tax rate by itself and expect smaller government. In fact, you what I would expect is larger government in the future. The only way that you can actually do that is to combine it with some other policy. One other policy would be actually decreasing government expenditures, which I think has not happened in decades, a real decrease, or some sort of institutional rearrangements, changing the rules of our federal bureaucracies in such a way uh that they don't just have like license to uh you know not well, stop. I mean that's where the,
0: the previous uh what was it Paul Ryan or whatever the, they're kind of big balance budget type people and and well say, I've always argued said I don't that. care about deficits but I do now because we've been doing them for 40 years and so. If there was some sort of balanced budget amendment, that would force, hey, you want to do more spending? No problem. You got to tax somewhere. So at least it holds them in check without passing the buck down to future generations like we currently do and have been doing for 40 years. Yeah,
1: no, I won't lie. I I think that that is uh, politicians who say that Paul Ryan included uh, are simply saying that because they know it would never actually be something that would hit the floor. And so I don't believe that those people like a lot of the Tea Party Republicans, I think we're only in name only uh, basically Tea Partiers. Uh, so I think the way to really locate uh, someone who actually cares about this issue is to look at someone who wants an institutional reform. And so doing things like uh, taking the legs out from under the IRS, for example, uh, is maybe an example of how to actually reduce taxes without having, you know, this permanent uh, possibility of uh, increasing future taxes. If the so IRS... you're against
0: the 80,000 new IRS agents that were- Yeah, hired. yeah, that, is that what you're that, that,
1: that's what I'm saying. It's like the way that you would actually starve the beast is to like make the beast go away. And part of that would be having like less than 8 million members of the beast. <laughs> so like, okay, the beast wins because it's legion, right? Uh, yeah. Legion's bad, so.
0: Yeah, that, that growth, that direction is, is a little scary. I was always a, a fair tax uh, proponent, which now I've, I've pretty much abandoned. But that was an abolish the irs get rid of income tax and go to a whole all sales tax only yeah. system and it, it was really a beautiful system um mm-hmm. uh, but it just obviously i i thought there was a chance when we went through the financial crisis or other things that maybe it would awaken people that that would be a good route to go but um i think it's a dead dog
1: yeah no i i, I think to some extent again i prefer that to what we're we talk about now just cutting taxes because basically what you're what you need is a credible commitment to keep taxes low in the future and which means a credible commitment to cut spending and unless you have some sort of way of enforcing that credible commitment the incentives are exactly the opposite politicians always have the incentive to kick it to the future voters uh so the i this is another example where the order of operations matters you can't just cut taxes you actually have to have like pretty significant reform either in spending or institutionally uh and again with kind of a focus on that that deep state
2: institutions there so one thing that i think uh this brings out is that i think it makes uh it makes me uh more pessimistic about opportunities for successful reform uh right because it means that we can't just pick any issue on the list and uh you know get it piecemeal um yeah
0: which is why our political system is just kind of not so hot right now, because they just want to pick the one thing off the list to get elected, and it may or may not resonate with voters, and then we get to this hodgepodge executive order, put this in place, put that in place, and then when the elections come around again, it'll be taken off, and there'll be another executive order from a conservative person and we're not getting anywhere long term.
1: Well, I think what it leaves us at, I so I think there's like you, you've you almost got like a, a a barbell going here and one side is growing rapidly and one side is shrinking rapidly where there's like, yes, there's a decreased case for optimism in the idea that we will have incremental improvement. It seems unlikely that we're going to be able to incrementally make ourselves more free. On the other hand, though, what this implies is uh, that there is an increased chance that we're going to become free all at once. And so, in other words, people should be more optimistic that uh, there will be a change that will affect multiple uh, areas at the same time that make uh, people have more liberty. Uh, because you mean like an innovation, an innovation in energy? Like for instance- An innovation, uh, a revolution, which I'm not calling for. Uh yeah, you're but, calling for a coup.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but but the, the point is, what I'm saying is, in the in an atmosphere where incremental change is impossible then change happens slowly and then all at once that that's the idea is that uh you have very rapid changes where when you can't have small
0: changes revolution as opposed to evolution
1: yeah but but I think innovation is actually both a more plausible and a preferred yeah uh, I thought
0: that's what you're getting at I I there could be something that of course I don't know what freedom's going to look like but as things are less expensive uh because energy some sort of energy we do um what is it fission or fusion yeah uh you know whatever that some of that stuff is getting closer and closer and we learn i'm reading a sci-fi book with dark energy so somehow some scientist comes up with oh well that was easy and now we've got unlimited uh power to do things So I'm glad your sci-fi book,
2: uh has <laughs> energy prices trending downwards what do they look like in the actual world well so but, but
1: this this is the point and that yeah. this is what i'm trying to get across is that uh you can think about any improvement for society as being some pile of money that is basically the way that you can think of it and it might not be possible to grab the pile of money some people's ideas well let's grab dollar bills at a time That's is this is the incrementalist ideas like let's change one policy and grab a dollar bill and let's keep doing it and grab more dollar bills if we say that's impossible but things keep getting worse. What that implies is the gains from fixing the problem are going up, the pile of money is getting larger because they, if things get worse and worse and worse, that means figuring out how to fix it uh, is gonna be a larger gain. And so the bigger that pile of money gets, the more there is opportunity to fix the problem, You know, unleash the forces of liberty, basically. The more unfree we become, the more gains there are to unleashing the forces of liberty, the more incentives there are to do that. And so when you get a pile of money big enough, if you can figure out how to, capture just one percent of a gigantic pile of money that you unleash when you make some change for liberty or all the changes for liberty i guess at once uh the the more that pile of money is the more likely people are to take that on and so uh, the point is that you know the bigger your problem the bigger the fix or the, the bigger the reward for fixing things if you can just capture a small amount uh, that's why you know we don't police parking lots of like gas stations but we do police university parking lots there's a lot to lose by not policing university parking lots because people will just park wherever they want things will get congested or shopping malls are the same way people will kind of free ride off those free parking lots and so we police them we tow we write tickets that sort of thing uh because it's a big problem gas stations aren't a big problem so there's no reason to enforce it uh there's no reason to try to capture the pile of money because it's just very small no one tries to hide out at a gas station
0: So you made me think uh, of a problem that I'm not sure how we can help stem the growth of, and that is government uh, supporting through subsidy and other policies where they think the big answer is. So in my opinion, we're better off supporting policies of freedom that allow entrepreneurs to come up with what they think is the next great thing, according to possibly a profit incentive or just other incentives of of solving a world's problem. But it seems to be a lot of growth lately of we're gonna subsidize this, maybe it's a climate related field, maybe it's energy related field, and it's always the government leading the way through uh, subsidy. And I I think there's more and more buy-in from the public. And I hate that uh, because all of that is then leading back to, the growth of the debt national debt and deficits and interest payment with inflation rates where they are. We're gonna see more and more impact on taxes needing to grow to cover even existing operations and less money in private sector hands. I don't know that, that that's just seems to be a problem that's been exacerbated over the with COVID and otherwise over the last five years.
1: Yeah, no, I I I kind of agree, but I I do think that there is money on the table for both types of people. And so I actually do think that like if there is a politician out there who can figure out a way for to profit from the free market, uh, just like one percent, then making the market more free is going to be like a big boon to everybody. So, uh, you know, I I think it's, again, more likely in the private sector, uh, but there's a great paper trading with bandits. About how uh, you know a a tribe, if I remember correctly, that it's the continent of Africa where this uh, episode occurred. But a tribe is trading with this group of bandits who are plundering everybody else. And the idea is, well, how could you ever have like this credible commitment with to a bandit who could come and steal the stuff? And it's like, well, if you don't steal the stuff, then these people can get really rich. We've got our like roving bandit. Uh, and so there are gains from the table from not like abusing and hurting people. And if politicians can, you know, if they can be smart enough to figure that out, uh, more power to
2: them.
0: All right. Well, any last words on the order? Justin, did you get your piece out?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think so. It's yeah. just the, the thesis that, you know, Yeah, it the, matters. the matter, the order in which we do these things has drastically different consequences. And, um, you know, I think we... We took that uh, intuition and pumped it until we ended up with the claim that um, we might not uh, be able to do these things piecemeal. I mean, yeah. it, might, it might be the kind of thing that happens all at once.
0: All right. Well, we've come to the order of operations uh, for our podcast. Where we end it. So this has been a production of the Gorton Institute here at Ottawa University. I'd like to thank you all for listening. Five star rating helps other people find us, and please forward it on to your family and friends who you think would like to listen to us. Other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks.